Thank you, David, Bud, and Mark. It was beautiful. I remember back in third grade, I had to sing a solo, and that was no easy task. So <laughs> that same song. Oh. Okay. Today, our scripture comes to us from Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. Um, when I looked at the lectionary passage, this was the passage that was offered in our Presbyterian Church USA calendar. And uh, I didn't know we would be celebrating uh, Epiphany today. So the scripture's a little different, and we're looking more today at um, Simeon and Anna. So that's our story today. Again, I'm Nat Scott. Um, I apologize for any of the differences that you may encounter today <laughs> because I'm not used to doing this. <laughs> so, let us begin with our scripture. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, too. Now there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom 
and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, I ask that you would watch over us in our time together today. Lord, use me. May I be hidden behind your cross that you might be seen. May your words echo in our hearts. May we be touched and moved by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas. You didn't forget that there are 12 days of Christmas. So the 12 days of Christmas are December 25th to January 5th, counting first and last. The octave, or the eighth day, is New Year's Day and the Feast of the Circumcision. That is the day that Jesus was circumcised according to the faith. The evening of the last day is the twelfth night, or Epiphany Eve. The next morning being Epiphany. And so today we will talk about the baby Jesus, his circumcision, and Simeon and Anna. We remember that Simeon was an old man. He was an old man waiting to see the Messiah. He didn't see any miracles. He didn't see any signs. He didn't see any wonders. He simply saw the baby Jesus and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which has been prepared for all people. No miracles, no signs, no wonders. He just saw the Christ child. He believed and that was enough. Then we have the story of old Anna, who was 84 years old. She was a widow and poor. For her also, there were no miracles, no signs, no wonders. All she saw was the Christ child, and she too believed. The specific text of the sermon is, at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. One of the neat things about having a new child come into our home, whether it's biologically or by means of adoption, is that there is a whole set of rituals that go along with the arrival of a new child. For example, as soon as you know that you are pregnant, the woman goes and tells her husband that she is pregnant. The two of them share their secret. They wait for a while to tell anyone That is the ritual. The ritual is not to tell everybody immediately. Then there's the ritual where you finally go and announce your pregnancy to the special person, like the the mother and the father, the best friends, grandma and grandpa, and the other special people in your life. They hear those great words, we're going to have a baby. A person then goes through the ritual of trying to select the right name go through several books of names and looking for the right name, go through the names of parents and grandparents, brothers, 
sisters, best friends, special people. You ask the question, what is the right name for this child? Then the baby is born. And the husband often goes and buys cigars. I don't know why we go out and buy cigars to celebrate the birth of a child. If some of you can explain the origins of that ritual, I would be appreciative. Um, But I remember buying the cigars and giving them away. Another ritual is that we know that blue is for boys and pink is for girls. The hospital maternity ward used to wrap little baby boys in blue blankets and wrap little baby girls in pink blankets. It is confusing if the parents don't follow through with this ritual of dressing baby boys in blue and baby girls in pink and then bring the child to church. You don't know what sex the child is not wrapped in pink or blue. You need to give off little clues of pink and blue so people will know if it's a little boy or a little girl. You go to the hospital to visit and you see a baby in the arms of a mother and you know it is a new baby. You see the color of the blanket and you say, what a lovely little boy or a beautiful little girl. And the rituals continue. Grandparents. Grandparents come to the hospital or maybe later to the home, but it doesn't matter. Whenever the grandparents see the baby, their grandchild, the grandparents begin to cry with pride, overwhelming happiness. It's all part of the ritual. The tears of elation are part of the ritual. Then the next ritual is to figure out who the baby looks like. Hold the child and say, oh, it looks just like its mother. Its chin looks like its father and its little cheeks look like its grandmother. And we try to figure out who the baby looks like. Friends arrive in the hospital or at the home and the friend gently gathers the new baby into his or her arms and almost always exclaim, the baby is so small, I'd forgotten how little these babies are. We all know about these rituals, these rituals of babyhood. Because we have experienced firsthand these deeply ingrained rituals in our lives. And then comes baptism. We bring the child to the sanctuary, at least in our denomination, you bring the infant for infant baptism. In the evangelical tradition, you bring the infant for infant christening or dedication. In the mainline denominations, a baptismal gown is made or purchased. The godparents can be chosen, the grandparents are there, friends are invited, it's a grand celebration. When the closest family and friends gather for the baptism, the water, the candle, the pride, the joy, these are all deeply ingrained rituals of birth here in America, here in our church, here in our hearts. These rituals are all part of our culture. Jesus was a real, live baby. Jesus also went through rituals of babyhood. Just like we go through babyhood rituals, there were at least three rituals that we know of. There were three rituals to Jesus' infancy. At eight days, another at 31 days, and another at 40 days. At eight days, Jesus was circumcised, and everybody came to his house for this sacred event. All the aunts 
uncles, grandmas, grandpas, the brothers and sisters, they all came together for this big potluck over at the house. No, they didn't come over to the church, the temple, or synagogue. That didn't, that, that did not happen at this time. That wasn't really until about 900 AD that they started doing them in the synagogue. Um, No, they came to the house for this celebration. Circumcision was an in-home ritual. For the ancient Jewish people, the circumcisions were actually done in the home. But not for Mary and Joseph. Nope. Load up the baby, take the long journey to Jerusalem, to the temple. Circumcision was also the naming day. That is, during the service of circumcision, the child was given his name, which in this case was the name Jesus. They asked the question, what shall this child be named? His name shall be Joshua, or in Greek, Yeshua, in Hebrew, Joshua. It was a common name, such as Jim, John, or Bill. Mary and Joseph gave their son a plain and ordinary name that was common and well-known among their friends. In this common and ordinary event, they would have circumcised Jesus and he would have howled in pain. He would not have liked that. The grandmas and grandpas would have all looked on and rejoiced that this baby had such great lung power and could howl so long and loud Circumcision itself was a sign of the covenant between God and the person being circumcised. That is what happened when Jesus was eight days old. Then, at 31 days old, he would have been brought to the temple in Jerusalem for the service of dedication. This is a second big trip to Jerusalem on the 31st day. Why? Because he was the firstborn male. What you always did with the firstborn male in a patriarchal society was to bring them up to the temple. In our particular family, the name of our first male child is Ryan. When he was 31 days old, I, as the father, would have had to go and kill my firstborn of my cattle, the firstborn of my sheep, and make an offering as a sacrifice. I would have taken our firstborn male child up to the Lord to dedicate him to the Lord. For this child was to be the head of the family, the primary heir of the family inheritance, the future number one authority in the family for all disputes. In a patriarchal society, it was a special position to be the firstborn male. Jesus was the firstborn male, and he would have gone through that ritual of dedication. So there was a childhood ritual at 31 days. Then, on the 40th day, there was a third ritual of childhood, and this ritual had to do with Mary. It was called the rite of purification. Not for the baby, but for the mother. Mary needed to be purified. When you had a baby, you were considered unclean. If she had given birth to a boy, she was to stay home for 40 days and not come out of the house. If she gave birth to a girl, 
she was to remain home for 80 days. I have a feeling that this was the patriarchal society's way of punishing women for giving birth to a daughter instead of a son. In a patriarchal society, boys were more valued than girls. If a mother gave birth to a daughter, she was to remain home for twice as long. According to the Jewish law, Mary was to come to the synagogue on the 40th day. The law told her to offer a sacrifice of a lamb, or if she could not afford a lamb, she was to offer two turtle doves and two pigeons. She sacrificed two turtle doves and two pigeons, and this indicates that Jesus was raised in a poor family. In a poor family. So we find the rituals that happen on Jesus' eighth day, 31st day, and 40th day. Jesus went through his cultural traditions just as we go through coming home from the hospital, passing out cigars, pink is for girls, blue is for boys. Get it? Now the reason I am spending so much time discussing these rituals of Jesus' childhood is to emphasize that Jesus was fully human, that he was fully a child. These rituals underscored Jesus' humanity. The alternative epistle for today from Galatians tells us that Jesus was born under the law and that he was to conform to the requirements of the law. Matthew 3 tells us that Jesus was to fulfill the obligations of the law. Circumcision, dedication, purification. Luke 2 says that Jesus was to fulfill the obligations of the law. Romans says that Jesus came in the likeness of our flesh. Philippians says that Jesus was in the likeness of a human being. All of these biblical passages and the message of Christmas is that Jesus was a real, live, flesh and blood human being like you and me. And when they circumcised him, he howled in pain. I know I keep returning to that. <laughs> there is a joke that goes with that, you know. <laughs> a man once asked, were you circumcised? As a baby, yes. Was it painful? Well, I didn't walk for a whole year. <laughs> you see, the humanity of Jesus has often been a stumbling block for Christians. The incarnation, God coming fully as human being, has been a stumbling block for us believers. We want Jesus to be a super baby and not just a baby. Then we want him to grow up to be a super child and not just a child. Then we want him to grow up to be a super God who maybe has a magic wand like a fairy godmother and not be the true God presented to us in the Bible. This is called the heresy of docetism. That is, we do not allow Jesus to be a fully human being. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, emotion of our emotions, skin of our skin. Sometimes I try to think of a visual analogy, uh, analogy to use here. And so 
I used to have a Super Bowl. I'm dating myself. In, in 1964, these things were invented. Do y'all remember Super Bowls? <laughs> so they're made of a rubber called Zectron. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> a little bit of information there you probably don't ever need. But it'll be good for you if you're uh, uh, doing something and, and need a <laughs> to know what Super Bowls are made of, Zectron. So, have you ever bounced a tennis ball or a golf ball? You know, you can bounce them and they'll, they'll bounce pretty good, but not like a super ball. A super ball bounces three times as high. Inside that ball, it's not just a regular ball, it's a super ball. So, similarly, we want to believe that Jesus wasn't just a real baby. He was a super baby. Jesus had super stuff inside him. And inside, he was pure divinity. Let me give you some illustrations of this heresy. Assuming that Jesus was not a regular ball, but a super ball inside, we hear of Jesus' magic. Some examples. We all know that Jesus was the son of a carpenter, and we rightly assume that Jesus had carpenter's skills. However, if you believe that Jesus was a super baby, when he became a carpenter like his daddy and Jesus pounded a nail, the nails all went straight in the wood. Or when Jesus missed the nail and hit his finger, he would say, oh my. When he was growing up with his brothers and sisters, he never fought with them like normal teenagers, no. And when Jesus came to worship in the synagogue, he sat perfectly still. He always wanted to go to the synagogue every Sunday with his parents. Why? Because many of us don't believe that Jesus was a real human being like you and me. Jesus didn't have the normal baby feelings. No, the normal feelings of humanity like us. Jesus was a super baby and not a real baby. What is a super baby? Well, I know what a super baby is. A super baby never whines, never cries, never throws up, never messes his pants, never disappoints his parents, and always sits perfectly through the entire worship service. That's what a super baby is. We often want Jesus to be a super baby rather than a real, live, normal baby, like the ones who come to our church. Thereby, we lose the paradox that Jesus was true God and true man. During the season of Christmas and these 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate the fact that Jesus was truly human. Jesus was like bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh and mind of our mind and emotions of our emotions, skin of our skin. This kid was a real human being. And when he was circumcised, he howled in pain as any normal baby would. Now, why is this so important to underscore the humanity of Jesus? Because the humanity of Jesus underscores for us the humanity of God. Talking about the humanity of Jesus gives us a clue about the humanity of God. That God comes to us in very plain and ordinary ways. Through the waters of baptism through the words of the Bible, through the bread and cup of communion. God comes to you through an ordinary person like me. 
We discover that God comes to you through an ordinary person like yourself, your spouse, your children, your friends, your family. God uses plain and ordinary flesh, flesh and blood people like you and me to get the job done, to get his message across to us. This is the message of Christmas. God comes through the plain and ordinary, the fully human person, like baby Jesus. God was born to a plain and ordinary little teenage girl. He was born in a stable, in a manger full of straw, with the smell of real live animals in the barn. God chose the common and the natural, the humble and the ordinary to express his love to us. Our problem is that often we don't want God to do that, to come to us through ordinary ways. We even remember what his cousin John the Baptist said. Ooh, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. We want God to come to us through extraordinary means. The ordinary isn't good enough for us. We don't want natural miracles. We want a supernatural, supernatural magic. We don't want miracles worked through nature. We want magic that violates the laws of nature. We don't want natural messengers called friends. We want supernatural messengers called angels with wings and halos. We don't want God to work through the ordinary. We want God to work through the unbelievably extraordinary. We don't want Jesus to be a human baby. We want him to be a super baby. The message is this. If you hear nothing else this morning, this is what is important. If I cannot see the face of God in the flesh and blood of the people of the world that are surrounding me, then I cannot see the face of God at all. The message of Christmas is that God likes flesh and blood and skin and bones and emotions and that he continues to come to us in those ways. You see, the humanity of Jesus is a clue to the humanity of God. The danger of super baby thinking is that it plays into our own lives. I'm a little suspicious that many parents don't want a real baby. They want a super baby. They want a baby that's unusually healthy and unusually smart. So grandma can come and say, that kid looks really intelligent. She doesn't want just a baby, but a super baby. And then the baby grows up and we don't want an ordinary child. We want a super child. Then when this child grows up, we don't want a plain ordinary spouse. We want a super spouse. I want a spouse that never gets mad at me, who tolerates all my imperfections and never whines and never cries and never irritates me. I want a super husband or a wife who never disappoints me because an ordinary husband is not good enough. Then I want a super God. A real God is not good enough. I want a super God that has a fairy wand like a fairy godmother and this God will poof, all my problems will magically disappear. That is the kind of God I want. I want a super God. Nope. I like 
the story about Simeon and Anna. They came to the temple that day. Two common, ordinary people. They brought the baby to them. No miracles, no signs, no wonders. All they did was to look at the baby, and they believed. That is what Christmas is about. Christ comes to us as a real, live human baby. Amen. Merry Christmas.